Sometimes the best stories in golf aren't found on tour. You'll find them at the back of the range. And here's your host, Ben Adelberg. Welcome to the back of the range. I am your host, Ben Adelberg, and this is episode 77. For those of you loyal listeners that have constantly said, hey, can you make the intro shorter? Can you just get to the episode already? Well, this is going to be the quickest intro in the history of the back of the range. So I hope you enjoy it. I know most of you are following me on social media. You'll know that I just got back from an incredible golf vacation that took me from South Florida to the Dominican Republic, then back home just to get some laundry done and repack, and then up to New Jersey for the second half of this amazing trip. After careful calculation, I determined that I played 190 holes of golf from May 23rd to June 2nd. Casa de Campo in the Dominican Republic was incredible. The teeth of the dog, the die for, the resort itself, all absolutely outstanding. You have to put that on your list. And the second half, yes, I was fortunate enough to spend two days at Pine Valley in New Jersey. I'm definitely going to provide everyone a recap of this entire trip so you can learn a little bit more about all the great courses that I played, how I got there, where I stayed, everything. But you're going to need to wait on that for a little bit so I can sort through all the pictures and all the videos and actually put everything together so I can share it with you. So in the meantime, follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, we're on Twitter, we're on Instagram at the Back of the Range Podcast. Everything you need to know as well as previous episodes, it's all on the website at thebackoftherange.com. Keep leaving reviews in Apple Podcasts. That means so much. It definitely elevates the podcast. You know we have our towels and our hats, and actually there's more merch on the way. So don't forget to check that out on the website under the merch tab. This week's episode was recorded a while back. In fact, it was right around the time that Wofford was playing some amazing basketball in the NCAAs. Our guest this week is a Wofford alum. He's also a former Memorial champion. Our guest this week is William McGirt. I decided to hang on to this episode until Memorial time. I think that everyone is going to really, really enjoy it. We get into some great stories about life on the tour, the injury that he is dealing with right now, and truthfully, we just chatted about golf and life. I really got to thank my friend Thomas for helping put this episode together. It would not have happened any other way. So let's get started with the Wofford University Hall of Famer, William McGirt. William, welcome to the back of the range. Thanks for having me. It's Wofford College, by the way. Oh, shit. Yeah, they, uh... <laughs> I just completely just, I just, damn it. Damn it. All right. No, we're keeping that in. Go ahead. Uh, go ahead. Talk uh, to me about Wofford College. Well, hey, how about that basketball team we got right now? I mean, you're 20, we, uh, I was going to talk to you about it. It's the first thing 20, on my list. 20 wins in a row. You know, know. Our, our four losses are to... North Carolina, Kansas, Oklahoma, and Mississippi State. And uh, you know, all those teams were ranked when, when they beat us. And uh, I'll tell you, I think it would be a little different story right now with the basketball that we're playing uh, if we had another crack at those teams. I'm not sure if, if we'd be able to beat North Carolina, um, but I think we'd give them a real good game. I mean, we gave them a real good game in November when we played them. But uh, I'll tell you, the best thing about this team is not – doesn't have a thing to do with basketball. Yes, they're a great basketball team. There are a lot of really good basketball players on that team. Uh, Coach Young is is one of my best friends, um, phenomenal guy. But the best thing about this team is the kind of people that they are. Um, they're all really high-quality individuals. And the fact that they're really good basketball players, you know, it makes it really, really easy to root for them. Yeah. And, um, you know, you, I have a six-year-old and a three-year-old. My six-year-old 
loves Wofford basketball. And trust me, when, when you've got kids and they look up to people like this, you know, you hope that they're, they're great people that they're looking up to. Right. And I can promise you, you know, I, I, I am very comfortable uh, with my kids looking up to this group of guys. I mean, they're fantastic people and uh, great representation of our college. That's uh, that's awesome. Yeah, I mean, how and I know that. So we're gonna get to a few of their uh, things that you're known for is is on the PGA Tour, and uh, you know, I know you're dealing with the with a, a medical right now, dealing with an injury, so you're not currently playing. Um, I know it's Players Week. Uh, I know you're probably it's killing you to miss that, but um, not really. Oh, okay. <laughs> Wow, you are <laughs> okay. So, anyway, um, I got man, you want to co host this thing because we got this perfect banter back and forth where I say something and then you correct me and make me <laughs> perfect. Um, no, I was gonna say, like, you know, you're you're got your off time, but you got to help out with the golf team and kind of be like a little bit of an assistant volunteer coach. Is that correct? Yeah, it's been fun. Um, you know, we've had such an awful six months of weather. Um, you know, we've had so much rain here and it was so cold for a while that, uh, there haven't been a whole lot of golf going on and, uh, you know, the season came on them quick and, uh, you know, struggling a little bit, but, you know, it's fun to go out and help some kids and, and, you know, offer some advice that, uh, that they may not be able to get anywhere else without paying for it. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think it does mean a little bit more to those guys that, you know, I, I've had success not only in college, but, but on tour. And, uh, I think a lot of them, if, if you don't have this success, then it's harder to kind of trust what somebody's telling them. But, uh, yeah, I, I can tell you that they've all been a bunch of little sponges out there at practice. Oh, you know, yeah. If I tell them to do something, you know, I, there's a couple of them. I think if I told them to, to stand on top of the golf cart on their head and try to swing the golf club with their feet, they'd try it. But, uh, all right, be, be honest. So do you have them washing your car or doing errands for you or, you know, picking up oh, the heck no. Oh, see, heck no. That, uh, well, in today's world, that's like the worst form of hazing ever, isn't it? Right. You know, stuff that, that 20 years ago that we did that, you know, it was kind of your freshman orientation yeah. or your rookie orientation. Now I'm pretty sure you get thrown under the jail for that. Oh yeah, what do you, I mean? If you change their Instagram password, I mean that's that's you, you'd get locked up. You couldn't do that. Well, I mean, even if you popped them with a towel. Oh yeah, you uh, can't do that. You know, anything nowadays it seems like would be just the end of the world. Yeah. Um, but you know, I mean, it, it's nice to have kids that are that are willing to to listen and want to learn. Well, I mean, the cool thing, too, is not only are you an alum and you had great success on the college team, but you kind of came from a different direction. It's not like you had the country club membership handed to you and, you know, you kind of scrapped and clawed through it. You didn't play golf for your entire childhood. I think you were more into baseball, weren't you? I was really into baseball. In fact, I didn't uh, I didn't really start playing golf. I played a bunch when I was little and quit playing when I was about eight and didn't pick up a club again until my 15th birthday. And my grandfather had asked me to go out and play golf with him. And uh, at one round, and I was hooked again and spent a lot of time trying to trying to get better. And I shot 83 the first round I had played, like eight years. And within a couple of months, I was breaking 80 and uh, was breaking 75, I think, within probably six months. And yeah. But it was a lot, of, a lot of hard work that went into that. I knew – yeah, you know, 
I've always kind of been behind the eight ball. I've always done things a lot slower than everybody else. Um, you know, I was a 31 year old rookie on the PGA tour. I was a 30 year old rookie on the what's now the web.com tour. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it just took me a little while longer. And, you know, I was 30, almost 37, uh, a couple couple weeks short of 37 when I won my first tour event. You know, we got a lot of parents of juniors, a lot of juniors, college players that listen to this podcast that are making that decision of, you know, how to pick a school. And uh, obviously we've touched on the fact that you went to Wofford, you had, you know, victories there and, you know, freshman of the year for uh, Southern Conference. But uh, clear up something for me. I'm not sure if this is true. I want to clear it up. True or false? Did you play high school golf? Well, we did not have a golf team. Um, however, I, I was able to play um, in the state championship and regionals and stuff like that as an individual. Okay. But uh, we did not have a high school golf team. Okay. Um, so, yeah, that, that's kind of a true slash fault, not, yeah, not necessarily yeah. a true fault. Well, um, I, I guess I was illustrating that just because, you know, if you really want to get somewhere bad enough, you can figure out a way to get there. Clearly that you've shown, you know, you've shown that it can be done. Well, and it does not matter what you're doing in life. Um, if, if you want to do something bad enough and you put your mind to it, you can do it. Whether it's go to law school or go to medical school or, you know, if you want to be the best plumber there is or best electrician or best yard man, you know, it, it's all about your level of desire. And I think one of the best pieces of advice I ever got, I, I had been playing golf probably a year, year and a half. And the U.S. Women's Open was at Pine Needles. It was the first U.S. Women's Open yeah. I think they had. And I was up, my first teacher was at Pinehurst Resort. And I was out playing one day and came up on the lady who had, I think she was a club professional and she had qualified for the women's open, but had missed the cut. And I ended up playing five or six holes with her finishing up. And I, if I'm not mistaken, I think she may have been at the club that Matt Kuchar grew up at in Orlando. And, you know, she, she asked me if I knew Matt. And I, of course, at the time I didn't know Matt because I hadn't played any high level junior stuff. And I think the best piece of advice that I ever received was from her and it was, if you're going to go play college golf, go where you can play. Yeah. Don't go somewhere to sit on the bench because you're not going to make the starting five, you know, just to be at a, at a big time school, a big name school, go where you can play and go where you can get better. And it's just like any education. I mean, you can go, you can go to Harvard, you can go to Princeton, you can go to all those Ivy League schools, but if you're not in it for the education, you're not going to get out of it what you need you know you can go to a community college it doesn't matter if you're looking for a good education and you're willing to put the time and work in you're going to get out of it what you need and you know that can be said in anything whether it's sports academics or any occupation sure well i mean it's it's a great story and i love uncovering things about high level amateurs professionals here on the podcast about all the different paths they took to get to where they are and to achieve the success and i I, I think it's great that you're kind of giving people a peek behind and say, look, it can be done no matter how you do it. You mentioned junior golf. Um, I really wanted to make sure we kind of got the Bobby Chapman invitational in here as quickly as possible, not only because you're on the board, not only because of all the PGA Tour players that have come and gone that have ended up playing in that, but that was a big key to your recruitment to Wofford, wasn't it? Yeah, it really was. Um, so it's held at the Country Club of Spartanburg. Um, which I live 
couple of minutes away from there now. Um, and that's where Wofford played when I was in school and still, and they still play there. Um, but it was very instrumental, um, in me getting my scholarship, um, you know, to play well on the course that the team played all the time and doing it in front of the, uh, the athletic department folks who, you know, when, when coach told him the story that he was recruiting a high school catcher to play college golf, <laughs> they all thought he was crazy. And, uh, you know, it, it ended up working out for the best. Oh, I, mean, <laughs> I would, yeah, I would say so. But, I, I think it's worked out better in golf than probably in baseball. I'm, I'm assuming, yeah, I'm assuming I gave up my baseball dreams when I realized there were no five foot eight slow fat catchers with a, with a decent arm that hit for average in the major leagues. Uh, that kind of dashed my hopes. And I, and I realized that heredity was not on my side. Oh, no. I wasn't going to wake up one morning and all of a sudden be 6'3". Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, – yeah, that, those things don't happen. Um, so let me ask you this. You're playing this – this uh, the Invitational here, the Bobby Chapman. Um, if you had not made it on the PGA Tour – and someone asked you to tell a story from that tournament about someone that you played with that was a name. Can you think of a name of a person that you played with there or any fond story of the Invitational? Let's see. That's been 1996. It's been 23 years ago. Yeah, I know. I can't remember what I did 23 minutes ago, much less 23 years ago. But I, the one the one memory I do have, um, I was standing over my tee shot on the 18th hole on Sunday. Now, 18, it's a fairly short hole, maybe 360, 370. Um, but your tee shot's kind of blind. It's slightly uphill off the tee, and then goes down into a valley and then back uphill to the green. Well, whoever the volunteer was that was supposed to be sitting out in the fairway to hold us up wasn't out there. Oh, God. So I'm standing over my tee shot, and I'm about to pull the trigger. And all of a sudden, we hear 500 people behind the green just go nuts. So I back off, have no idea what's going on. And then finally somebody waves to us that we could hit and we get done and we realize that the roar was Kyle Thompson and hold a wedge on 18 for two and uh, shot, I think 66 that round and ended up getting in a playoff and winning the playoff. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that, that was, that was a pretty cool, you know, that tournament got a real boost early um, with the guys that won that tournament and look at, a lot of the guys now, um, you know, Lucas Glover was the first champion. Kyle won the second event. You know, he's played four or five years on the PGA Tour. He's won three, four, five events on the Web.com Tour. Um, Marino. You know, Peter Uline. Yeah, Marino. Marino won the third one. Yep, you got Um So your first three champions have all played the PGA Tour. Yep. Um, and then you have Peter Uline, who won it twice. Um, and Peter won the U.S. Amateur and has played the tour for a few years and had a lot of success over in Europe. Um, Brendan Todd, another tour winner that played in the tournament. Um, but, you know, you just go through and you start looking at, at the alumni from that tournament and what, what they've done on the PGA Tour, and it's incredible. Yeah. Um, I can't remember the numbers right off, my, off the top of my head, but it's uh, maybe a dozen to 15 major championships that have been won. Over two hundred million dollars in, in earnings on the PGA Tour. Um, gosh, there's no telling how it's many a, wins. Yeah, be I mean, over a hundred. It's a great. I mean, then the people that have come through that maybe they haven't won it, but you got DJ, you got Watson, you got uh, you know uh, Kisner, 
Glover, Uline, just you know, down the list. So yeah, no, it's it's a, it's a who's who of the PGA Tour now. Yeah, Bill Haas. Oh know? yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it, it just it starts adding up, and all of a sudden, and and that's the thing. You know, I've talked to some of these guys because this will be our 25th anniversary uh, later this year, and I've talked to some of these guys about potentially coming back and speaking at the player dinner or, you know, doing something to help us out because everybody talks about how much they love that tournament. And you know, it was named after Rob Chapman's father, Bobby. Um, and Rob died uh, August 2017. And Rob was very close with a lot of tour players. Rob was one of my very best friends. And uh, not a day goes by that, that I don't think about him and miss him. But, uh, you know, just just a very special, special guy. And unbeknownst to me, after Rob died, um, I was on the range in Vegas that fall, and I walked over to Butch Harmon, and I knew they were friends. I just didn't realize how good of friends they were. Um, And I said, Butch, I said, let me ask you a question. I said, in 2019, we had the 25th anniversary of the Bobby Chapman. I said, I know you and Rob were buddies. I said, is there any way you would even consider coming in and doing something for us, kind of help us out? Um, you know, anything you want to do, just let me know. And he looked at me and he said, get me the dates I'm in. So that's awesome. lo and behold, Butch Harmon comes last year and we had an event this fall, um, Thursday night before the tournament. And basically I got up, I introduced Butch and I, and, and I said, honestly, I said, this fella doesn't need any introduction. So I'm going to make this short and sweet. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Butch Harmon. Butch, take it away. There you go. And for about an hour and a half, Butch stood up there and told stories and answered questions. And, you know, I think that's one of the things about that tournament is, you know, Butch couldn't believe he had heard about the tournament through Rob, but he didn't, I don't think he fully understood either, you know, how big that tournament had become. And he spent, you know, two and a half days with us, really three and a half days with us. Wow. And I mean, he was absolutely impressed, impressed enough that before he left, he said, boys, I'm coming back next year and I'm going to do my best to bring my brothers with me. And I saw him down at the PGA show in January and he literally came running across the room. He saw me yelling, Willie, 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 guess what? He said, Craig and Billy are coming with me this year. And, you know, anybody that knows the Harmon boys, sure. I, I, I never knew Dick. Um, you know, er- everybody speaks very highly of Dick. I've met Craig a couple of times when I've been up at Oak Hill and I know Billy fairly well and, and have really gotten to know Butch in the last year. Um, those boys are great storytellers. And the, I think the only problem we might have with them in town is we we might not have enough airtime for the I was going to say you're going to have to for schedule, Billy and Butch to start might, telling stories. Yeah, you might need to get someone with the you know get someone with the hook to get them off the stage. But but you know, good luck with that. I mean, if they're going, well, we might we might just have to start an event at like eight a.m. <laughs> and tell them, hey, you got to have it over by midnight. There you go. That's you awesome. Know, but, but but that's the thing, you know, when you look at events like this and we've got enough history now with this event to, to really be able to start to pull some, some guys in like Butch and, you know, his personal connection with Rob made it easier for him to come, come and do this. And, you know, Butch says to us last year, he says, look, I want to bring Dustin Johnson to come with me. I want to bring I mean, Ricky Fowler. I was going to just and, say that. I mean, you got the, and it's coaches, like, yeah. but you, you take the lead, buddy, you bring whoever you want. Oh, you know, yeah. Well, 
we'll make sure that everybody's well taken care of and and it's well attended if if you bring the people there oh everybody's gonna show up i mean that's that's the uh those are the things like you said that that keep some of these junior tournaments that have the speakers i mean that's what's some of the highlights of all the usga events when they have a, a speaker at the amateur speaker at the the junior um yeah that's uh it's it's tremendous well we will put a link to the bobby chapman in the show notes of this episode uh it's a it's a great tournament and uh, really interesting just to kind of tinker around on the website and see who's played there and all the past participants and, and scheduling. And it's, uh, it's great. Before we move on to other topics, uh, Spartanburg, if you're not at Wofford and you're not at home or with your family, where might I find uh, William McGirt? Ooh, good question. Cause I'm, if I'm not at the club right. and I'm not at the house, you've, probably find me in the in the carpool line at one of the kids schools <laughs> wow wild man I mean, uh, that's pretty much it yeah um you know I'll, I'll go over to campus and hang out at wofford some but uh it, the great thing with being home this last six seven months that i've been out after surgery um i've been able to do a lot of stuff that i've never had an opportunity to I, do i bet um it, right after I got off crutches, uh, taught my son how to ride a bike without training wheels. Um, I was home with him when he lost his first two teeth. Um, get to drive my daughter to dance lessons every week. Um, take the kids to swim lessons every week, a couple of times a week. Just being a regular uh, dad. I mean, yeah. Hey, there's nothing like being Mr. Mom every now and then. Hey, there you they go. Might, my wife might not like it when I go back to playing. <laughs> I'm taking well, a lot of load off of her. Well, I'm just at, well, I'm curious. You know, um, you know, people look at guys that are on the PGA Tour and think they got the life, and it's corporate outings and private planes, and everything's paid, you know, paid for. But I'm sure you're getting ready to get back out there and get to playing. But what do you kind of you're going to miss this this part of the, the the experience of this seven or eight months at home? I mean, is this something that oh, it's going to be? A, yeah, I mean, you're going to have kind of a not so much like I'm, I mean, I understand you're going to be surrounded by your kids, but but when you leave, you're going to miss them, obviously. But I'm talking about just I don't have to get on a damn plane. I don't need to get in a car. I don't need to sleep in a hotel. I could just be home. How's that reentry going to be? Well, I think the best thing about it has been being home, sleeping in my own bed eating meals on my with my own fork and off my own plate at my own dinner table, you know, cooked in my own kitchen. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's been the most fun. <laughs> that's what's going to make it really tough when I go back. And, you know, people think it's all glamorous, but living out of a suitcase, you know, after a while it, it starts to get old. Sure. Every hotel looks the same, regardless of the price you pay for it. Um, you know, every restaurant has about the same food. It's presented a little differently, priced a little differently. Um, you know, it, and you do that five, six, seven weeks in a row. Um, my rookie year, I played, I think, eight weeks in a row to start the season. I started at Sony, played the entire West Coast, then played Honda. And I skipped Puerto Rico because I didn't know where I was. I was just mentally and physically exhausted. In fact, I rented a car and drove home from West Palm Beach, and I pulled up to I-95, and I looked at my wife, and I said, do we go north or south? Oh, man. I did not know where I was. I mean, it literally, you know, there's just so much travel, and, and it flies by so fast when you're on the road like that. You just kind of, you lose track of time and weeks and, and all that stuff, and 
but the you know the crazy thing is had i played puerto rico that week i would have played sony all the way up through houston the week before augusta and i realized then that you know six in a row was about my limit depending on the on the amount of travel i might could squeeze seven and i'm down now to where four in a row is about all i'm willing to do oh yeah um yeah, especially with kids. And if they're not traveling with me, uh, three in a row is about my max. Um, and, and even in those three in a row, unless we're just on the West Coast, then I'm going to try to get home at some point during that time. Um, it just, after a while, you just want to come home. You want to walk in your house, sit on your own recliner, uh, sleep in your own bed, and do nothing. Watch your own TV. Yeah. You know, nothing like having your own remote when you don't even have to look to see where the channel <laughs> channel button is. You you're, know, that's, you're that's not the one thing that you walk into hotels and, you know, one hotel, the, the volume and channel changers at the top, one that's at the bottom, one that's in the middle. And invariably, you just walk in and start punching buttons. And next thing you know, you can't get the TV to work. We have finally found what breaks the heart and souls of PGA Tour players. I knew it. I knew we would get to the bottom. I knew we'd find it and we got it. No, you're 100% right. I walk into a hotel and I'm like, I can't get, like, where is ESPN or where is Golf Channel? And I, you're just like, I, oh, this hotel doesn't have Golf Channel? Well, i got to get my shit and get out now. But um, Well, and the funny thing with me is I, I'm not somebody that likes to watch a lot of TV. Um, I mean, there, there have been weeks when my family hasn't been out with me that I'm pretty sure I haven't even turned on the TV the whole week in the room. Um, you know, it's nice to go back and have some peace and quiet and – Honestly, my wife thinks I'm crazy when I say this, but the weeks that are the hardest, hardest for me are the weeks that they don't travel because I tend to practice a lot more. So I wear myself out. Right. I go back, I go straight to bed. And, and the hard thing with that is, you know, you get back, all you want to do is talk to your kids and you realize, oh crap, they went to bed two hours ago. Yeah. You know, and then it's like, oh, I missed another day getting to talk to them. And it's funny now my son's figured out how to take his iPad and FaceTime me or take his mom's phone and FaceTime me. And uh, I've been out several times during a practice round. And you, the very distinct noise that it makes, right, your iPhone right. makes when, when it's a FaceTime call. And you're like, who is FaceTiming me? Oh, hey, buddy, what are you doing? You know, it's just a lot of fun. And, you know, he's starting to get to the age now and he understands what I do, um, which is pretty neat. Um, but at the same time, I don't know. He's really starting to get into golf. He, he enjoys it. In fact, right before I called you, I picked him up from his week, his Tuesday uh, golf camp. Oh, okay, nice. And uh, he's so excited on Tuesdays and Thursdays for, for golf after school. And, um, yeah, if he ever wants to get competitive with it, great. It's totally up to him. Um, I'm, I'm not the kind that's going to push him. Um, I've seen a lot of kids get run away from the game by overbearing parents. Um, and, and I think everybody at the club who sees me take him out there and watches me when he's out there, the only thing I ever say to him is, Hey, if we're going to be out here, we're going to do it the right way. But I want him to have fun, and I want him to want to play golf. And if he if he walked up to me one day and said, "Dad, I don't want to play anymore," fine, 
you know, and it doesn't matter what sport it is. It, it really does not matter to me. It's got to be but if fun. We're gonna play, if we're going to play a sport, we're going to have fun and we're going to give it everything we have. And that's all I ask. I don't care how good you are. I don't care how bad you are. If we're going to play it, we're going to give it a hundred percent. That's uh, that's really all you can ask for, and that's the best way I would imagine to communicate it to a kid. Just say, "Hey, let's." You're going to lose a lot in golf. You're going to lose a lot in life, but man, golf is really going to beat you down. I mean, it's just you're going to lose. Golf more is the win. most humbling game you oh. will ever play. Oh yeah, because there is no such thing as a perfect round of golf. Nobody ever has or will shoot 18 for 18 holes. And no matter what, no matter how well you play you can always find a shot that you left out there. I mean, guarantee you, you go ask some of these guys that shot 58 or nine, and oh, I yeah. guarantee they you they one. can they can find a shot somewhere that they left out there. No, you're, you're, you're 100% right. I mean, there is no perfect ground. Um, and the other thing is we as golfers are never satisfied, no matter how well we play. <laughs> no, we're really awful about that. So, Well, I tell people all the time, I'm like, look, you understand that all golfers are nuts, right? Oh yeah, we we chase a little white ball around a green pasture of grass, and we're trying to hit it with a stick, and we expect everything to be perfect when there is no such thing as perfect, I like and it what... drives us absolutely crazy, and we can't wait to do it again tomorrow. Oh yeah, yeah, it's, I... it's the epitome. It is the, it is the definition of insanity: repeating the same mistake over and over again and expecting a different result. I've had amateur tournaments where I've played bad. It's been a Sunday. I'm tired. I'm like, thank God I get to go to work the next day and I don't have to touch a club. And then Monday afternoon about five o'clock, I'm like, I think I'm going to go chip and putt tonight. And I'm just like, you're <laughs> such an idiot. This sport just kicked in the ass for a whole weekend and ruined your weekend. And now I'm like, I want to do it. Go do it again. So yeah, just can't yeah. wait to get there tomorrow. Yeah. Um, so, uh, let's see. I wanted to hit on one thing really quick. I know that you've played a truckload of mini tours before you got onto the web in 2010 and then obviously getting your card in 2011. I don't want to go too far deep into that because I'm sure everyone's got a mini tour story. But if William McGirt is writing the book called My Guide to the Mini Tours and there's a chapter entitled Don't Do This, what can you think of would go in that chapter? Don't play a miniature event in South Alabama and finish up on Sunday afternoon and drive all the way to Boston for a Monday qualifier Monday morning. What? Okay. Uh -huh. Sorry. All right. Hold on. Oh my gosh. All right. Let me just back this one up. So Sunday finished up in Dothan, Alabama on Sunday afternoon. I'm guessing around four o'clock got in my car and drove straight to Boston and teed it up the next day. Thank goodness I was in the afternoon um, in a Monday qualifier for the Deutsche Bank. Yeah. And uh, didn't play very well, got in the car, drove back home to – ended up driving to Charlotte to play in a mini tour event that started on Tuesday. So, yeah, I put a lot of miles on cars playing mini tour events. I mean, I'm trying to look up – I mean, I'm trying to look up and see exactly how many miles it is from Dothan, Alabama to Boston, and I just put it into Google Maps, and they just came it's back. It's got to be 1,500. Well, it just came back, and it said, why? Um, <laughs> and, no, it said, why drive? It says, fly. It's like, well, wh why? Um, 
right, so that's going in the chapter of of don't do this. Um, wow. All right, so you get you get on tour 2011. I wanted to ask you about you know the the memorial. You win the memorial in 2016, and you could have won any tournament. Uh, you could have broken through anywhere. Uh, I believe it was about 150 starts. You could have, you could have gotten the first win anywhere. But instead of asking you something like, you know, what does it mean to win at Jack's place and get the handshake and get the trophy from him, I want to ask you two questions. What's one thing that you've learned from Jack Nicholas that has made you a better touring pro? And then what's one thing that you think your wife may have learned from Barbara Nicholas about how to be a better tour pro's wife? Well, let's start with the second part first. I think, I mean, I'm very, very lucky. Um, my wife is extremely understanding. Um, she's been very, very supportive. Um, yeah, she worked full time when I was playing mini tours and even when I played the nationwide tour. Um, her last day of work was Thursday before we flew to Honolulu on Sunday for my first tour event. Nice. Um, so, you know, she, she was a breadwinner for a long time. Um, I think the biggest thing that she probably learned from Barbara is, you know, be as supportive as you possibly can. Um, but at the same time, you know, you've got a family to take care of and it's, it's a lot, but I think she, she really understood that, you know, we were married first and that, you know, she always puts me first before our kids, but, you know, she, she takes very good care of our kids and, you know, it's kind of hard when, when I'm gone or, or even when we're all on the road for four or five weeks in a row, you know, she's got two and a half days where she's trying to corral both of them before we can send our kids to daycare on tour. Um, so, you know, finding stuff for them to do, I think has been the hardest part. And the good thing is now we've played in most every city multiple times. Um, she kind of has her few things that, that the kids enjoy doing and she enjoys doing. But I think with, with the way Barbara has treated everyone, um, yeah, it, it's something that any person, not just a tour wife, any person that came across uh, Barbara would be better off. I mean, she honestly is one of the sweetest ladies I've ever met in my life. And you can see her hands all over the Memorial tournament. You can see her hands all over Muirfield village golf club. And, you know, she, she is a very special person. And, uh, you know, as, as far as, as Jack goes, I'll never forget the conversation we had standing right out in front of Augusta national clubhouse Tuesday afternoon he was walking into the champions dinner he rode past us on a golf cart and he saw us and he jumped off and, and came over to speak. And the last thing he said to me was, if you can win at my place, you can win here because your field was built, you know, very similarly to Augusta. And like Jack will tell you that Augusta is one of his favorite places ever. And, you know, he tried to recreate his own Augusta up yeah. in Dublin, Ohio. Yes, and, he did. You know, that, that was one thing that really, I wasn't really even playing very well, um, leading into that Masters, And it was almost like the kick in the behind that I needed. He hypnotized you, didn't he? Yeah. It was kind of the swift kick in the rear that you needed before that first round. And, you know, I went out and played great the first two days (laughs) and, 
you know, the thing was, it was so hard. And I was trying to take everything in in my first master's. And I think come the weekend, I just ran out of gas emotionally. It wasn't physically. It was just, it was mentally and emotionally I ran out of gas. And, you know, we were trying to have so much fun with the kids that week. The one thing I'm really bummed about that whole master's experience was not getting to play the par three. Um, yeah, I was looking forward to having the kids out for oh, that. Yeah. Just, I know it's really hard to, to give a definitive answer to this, but if you win some other tournament, let's say you win, a, I don't know, you win Harbor Town, you win Colonial, you win Valero Texas Open, and you don't have Jack Nicholas kind of, you know, like I said, kind of hypnotizing. I mean, that really sets you off for the rest of that year. I mean, is it is it kind of fair to say that winning there definitely not so much with the the perks, but having it be his tournament, did that kind of set you up for the rest of the year? In in a way, it did because you know, I mean, it was a pretty big purse. Oh, um, I, I don't mean. Yeah, I didn't mean the kind of money wise. I, I didn't mean like the perks of that. I just kind of meant. Now you have a relationship with Jack Nicholas. Yeah. That, yeah. Yeah. You know, there's a, there's a lot that, you know, we were lucky enough to spend some time with, with Jack and Barbara before we left that Sunday night. And, um, you know, I mean, he, he said some things to me and about me that, that I really appreciated. And, um, can you share one of those? Well, one of the things he said was, you know, I was one of, I think two players in the field that day that didn't make a bogey. And, if you'd have told me that I'd be tied for the lead going to the final round up there with that list of names on the leaderboard that I was tied with and surrounded by, and I was going to make one birdie and win the golf tournament that day, I'd have told you you're crazy. <laughs> you know, I made 19 pars and a birdie that day, but it was hard. And, you know, Jack made the comment in the press conference, and then he made the comment to me after the round that – you know, everybody made a charge, but everybody made mistakes and beat themselves. He said, you know, you didn't make a bunch of birdies. He said, but you didn't beat yourself. And he said, you know, I had a lot of my wins that way. He said, you know, I didn't shoot a whole lot of 64s on, on Sunday to win. He said, but I shot a lot of 68, 69s and 70s and watched everybody else come back to me. Yeah. He said, because I didn't make mistakes. And, you know, yeah, it's nice to go out and post around like, uh, Molinari did on Sunday but you know more often than not if you're up there around the lead and you just play a good solid round and you don't make any bogeys you know you're not gonna hurt yourself you're gonna have a lot of chances to win golf tournament I just think it's great that you got that that one right there your first one and just that Sunday night at, at you know at Memorial just you and your wife and the kids and and you know Mr. and Mrs. Nicholas I mean it just you that's a far stretch from the 2007 Cabarrus Classic on the Tar Heel Tour that's how, <laughs> and uh, a few more dollars. Let me ask you, let's completely switch gears. Let me ask you about equipment. I know you're a Cleveland Zrixon guy. Uh, technology just, it seems like every single year, every single, I don't know, month, everything just kind of exponentially improves, whether it's uh, materials or, you know, the, the ability to adjust. Um, are, you know, maybe 10 years ago, you can possibly label someone as a tinkerer, but it seems like now you can tinker all you want to immediately with, with hosel adjustments and, you know, quick drying epoxies and things like that. Are you a big tinkerer or kind of where do you stand on, on your gear? You know, I used to be a big tinkerer. Um, yeah. Golfers are never satisfied. Like I said earlier, um, you always feel like you can squeeze two or three more yards out of a driver. And for a, for a average to below average hitter like myself, every two or three yards matters. 
Um, but I'm at the point now to where, look, I'm not going to pick up 20 yards. So I need stuff that I know where it's going to go every time. And, you know, I couldn't tell you loss and lies of my clubs. Couldn't tell you what the shafts frequency okay. out at now. Um, I just know what feels good and what produces the ball flight I'm looking for. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm not into all the technical aspects of it anymore. Um, probably wouldn't take me long to get back into it, but I'd probably lose my card shortly after I did. Just, I think you, you start overanalyzing and, and trying to get too perfect with everything and you end up losing the focus of, of hitting golf shots and, and playing golf. Got it. Um, okay. And, and I think, you know, technology, you can talk about, um, golf equipment all you want but i think the biggest change in the game in the last 10 years has been the launch monitor yeah um because you know now you're able to sit it down and see what your impact conditions are and build a golf club now to optimize those impact conditions whereas you know even 15 years ago it was all with the naked eye oh that doesn't look like it's spinning too much oh that that's got uh way too much spin on it you know, we got to try something else. Well, now you can take a driver or any club for that matter and walk out and hit a couple of shots and say, okay, you're not spending all day trying to perfect a club. You can walk out and hit five shots and you'll know immediately whether it's going to work or not. Yeah. If your numbers are in a, in a certain range. Well, and, and like I said, also, you can't just have that immediate change. Like, Hey, you know, take, you know, add some weight, drop this down, drop it up. You know, it's just, it's so immediate right now. So you're, you're not playing right now. You're on a major medical exemption. I know you had surgery to repair, uh, you know, torn labrum and just all, all stuff involving your hip. Um, I haven't spoken to people yet on this podcast about just the, the whole concept of, of getting a major medical exemption or minor medical exemptions, but you know, what did it look like several months before you kind of knew that, okay, this is going to happen. I'm going to have surgery. You know, was there a, a you know, did you have to put strategy into the timing of it? You know, what's your strategy coming back? Can you maybe walk listeners through like, okay, what does that look like as far as, you know, your career and, and how you go forward? Well, I knew in mid April, um, that I needed to have surgery. So we started asking questions, trying to find out how the process worked, um, how many starts I'd have when I came back. Um, there were a lot of questions that we needed to have answers to, and I had to keep playing without getting the answers to those questions yet. And to be honest with you, there's still some that I don't have the answers to. Um, but basically, I would have loved to have had the surgery first of May, which would have been you know a week, 10 days after I found out I needed to have surgery. Right. But that what they do is they take the average of your last three years that you've played. So for me, it was 28, 28 and 26 events. I believe it worked out to 27 event average. Had I played one more event, it would have been 28. Um, and honestly, I mean, I don't know how I got through the last half of the year. I didn't realize just how bad it had gotten until after surgery when I started back hitting balls again. Um, I have a video. Ironically, they were taking 53 weeks to the day apart. And 
you go look at the lack of turn and mobility in my hips in January of 2018 versus January of 2019. And you'd look at it and go, this is not the same person. Um, the day before surgery, Dr. Bird's office, they do a lot of uh, research with golf up there. I did the 3D swing capture and all they were looking at was the hip data. Wow. And I was, I had less than three and a half degrees of internal rotation in my left leg, which for a right-handed golfer, good luck. <laughs> um, that means you got one of two things you can do. You can just not turn and slide all the way through it, or you can basically reverse pivot and throw your hands at it. Or you can go and, fishing. Yeah. Well, <laughs> but yeah, I, I had, I had to keep playing to get my number of starts up. Oh, okay. Um, okay. So, yeah, like I said, there were a lot of unanswered questions, and I just kept playing. And it, and the, and the crazy thing is, I mean, I felt great the first playoff event. I was swinging beautifully; everything felt great. My body felt great. Um, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I show up Thursday morning, and I couldn't move. If I tried to to just rotate internally on my left leg. I felt like my hip was going to explode and none of the scans showed a bone spur. And when Dr. Bird said, when he got in there and got the camera rolling, turned the light on, blew my hip up. He said, Whoa, first thing he saw was a bone spur about the size of a jelly bean. And he said he could see where it had done damage to the labrum, but it wasn't anything that he could repair. It was just a bunch of little nicks. And uh, he said, I guarantee you, that the times that it bothered me the most, it was lodged in the hip joint, preventing more rotation, Ugh. and just little stuff like that. That you, know. so it just uh, just one of those things you deal with. Yeah. And looking back at it, I mean, I'm I'm pretty amazed at the way I played. Well, just to get all the way to the playoffs on basically on one leg is, I yeah. mean, that's really what you did, and that's you got to get in the top twenty-five, and you know that. You're basically, I'm assuming you're shutting it down for the large, you know, portion of this season. I think you get what, like five rehab starts on the web. Yeah, I get five uh, rehabs on the web, and you know, with this being a shorter season by a month, um, they shorten the web season as well. It really kind of, it almost puts a rush on you to to try to get back if you want to take any of the web starts. Um, so that's kind of the the downside of it for this year. I mean, did you think that maybe there's a career for you next year and just being like a carpool specialist in Spartanburg and you just don't even have to play another year and you can just kind of do stuff around town and be just like, does, does that appeal to you at all? Well, I considered being an Uber driver. That's what I'm getting. That's what I'm saying. (laughs) I mean, you know, it's funny. We, um, my daughter, uh, a lot of her friends that live close by, they're all in the same dance class. And, um, I drove them to dance a lot this year and uh that was a lot of fun you know stuff that it's stuff that you know you normally wouldn't have the chance to do and i mean honestly even if i had a normal nine to five job with dance lessons right after school i mean yeah you'd be bailing on work once a week but uh finally have a day like today where the sun's shining and it's not freezing cold and and get them out in the yard and let them run around and have some fun with them absolutely well i'm gonna let you get to them uh and, and get you through this pretty quick. I just had a couple other questions. If you have a minute, um, the one thing I wanted to ask you is, do you play a lot of casual golf when you're not competing on the PGA tour? Um, it's hard for me to play around the golf 
that doesn't mean anything. Um, you know, I, I can go shoot 78 with the best of them on a round of golf doesn't mean anything, but you hand me a rule sheet and a scorecard and a pencil and a whole location sheet and it's time to go. Right. I understand. Um, I'm actually the opposite of what you have going on just so you know. So, well, I mean, I'm the guy that that can go shoot 80 in the practice round and 65 the first round and it, and it looked the same. Um, just because if, if it doesn't mean anything, it's hard for me to focus. Um, and you know, when you start looking at, uh, how many rounds of golf I play now, um, take a wild guess at how many rounds of golf I played at our club last year. Um, I know the answer, but, uh, it's two. You played it's in two. Yeah. Yeah. It just doesn't, uh, I don't know. The, the, the casual golf kind of left me a long time ago. When I, you know, I, I and, and I've had people ask me this before. Some of my friends, Hey, do you want to go play golf? And I've, I've asked them the same thing. Well, do you want to go look at court cases on next Saturday when it's your <laughs> off day? Or do you want to go look at surgeries that you have coming up when it's your off day? Or, you know, do you want to let's go talk about granite countertops when it's your off day? It's, and, a, it's, uh, it's a job. It's just that your job is televised and you do things yes. that people don't have the ability to do. And, and, I do, and I do what everybody would love to do for a living. Uh, yeah. Uh, William, this has been uh, this has been great. Uh, it's been fun to catch up, uh, fun to talk to you. I'm sorry that it's on terms where you're, uh, you know, kind of nursing the injury, but I'm sure you are kind of gearing up and, and getting ready to get back on tour next year. So, wish you the best and good luck with uh, the carpooling and the dance classes and uh, you know all that fun stuff you're doing. And enjoy being a being a full time dad and a, or, or stay at home dad at this point. And uh, we'll try and catch up somewhere down the road. Sounds great. I appreciate you having me on. I've enjoyed it and uh, love to come back on some other time. We're going to do it after your, after your next win. Sounds good to me. Let's make it quick then. <laughs> hey man, I, I got the, <laughs> the microphone's hot. Just get on out there. I hear you. And there you have it. Another great episode here at the back of the range. Special thanks to William McGirt for joining us this week. Really enjoyed that episode. Hope you did too. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter Go to thebackoftherange.com for information about our new trucker hats or golf towels, or if you just want to drop us a line. And don't forget, we'll see you next week for another episode here at the Back of the Range.